happy Sunday. Um, we're just going to enter into worship now. And every time Jen puts this song on the list, it seems like I have, like, a really crazy week. Um, so I don't know if anybody can say amen to that um, this week. <laughs> I hear you. Um, but it just, you know, I'll see the song on the list and I'm like, okay, yeah. It's just a reminder, right, that uh, whatever's going on, how much ever we try to take on ourselves and uh, fix, <laughs> that really we have to come to that point over and over again. And when we do, it's much easier, but it, sometimes it takes us a while, right? Uh, to just go to God and just say, God, I, I need your help out of this funk or out of this situation or um, just out of a bad week <laughs> of, you know. Um, so if you've had that kind of week, if you've had a good week, good for you. I did not have a great week. Um, but today's a new day, right? Um, but just to remind you that right now, no matter how the last six days went, that today we can decide, God, I'm just going to look to you, right? I'm, I'm going to look to you because really that's what I should have done in the first place, right? <laughs> it would have probably saved some some heartache and some crazy. But um, this morning we're going to, we're just going to look to him. So sing it with me. You guys know it. I will love you, I will love you. 
Say that out loud. your eyes just for a moment. Just give God space to think about what you're saying.
I love the words it says, your love becomes my greatest defense. It leads me from the dry wilderness. And all I did was praise. I've, I've been reading a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And it's just a book just on that God loves you. I think a lot of times we, we understand in our minds that God loves us, but we don't actually believe it. We believe that God loves uh, God loves Paul and God loves Carol, but it's sometimes very hard for you to believe and I to believe that God loves me just for me. And I love the words uh, this guy wrote. He says, the Lord does not cherish us as we deserve. If that were the case, we would be desolate. But as he must, unable to do otherwise, he is love. And then he says one last thing that I want to read over us. It says, um, he says, it is for this reason that we can proclaim with all certainty, theological certainty in the power of God's word, God loves you as you are and not as you should be. God loves you as you are and not as you should be. Do you believe this? That God loves you beyond worthiness or unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity. That He loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain. That He loves you without caution or regret, beyond limit or breaking point. God loves you and He will not stop loving you like we stop loving. God doesn't love like we love. We say we can have unconditional love, but it's conditional. We're just, that's the way we're made. But the way God loves you, it's beyond limit, beyond fidelity, it's beyond breaking point, or he would not have put his own son on the cross. Think of that. The way he stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son Isaac, he did not do for himself. He would not stop. He would not send the angels. And if God loves us that much, you are loved. God loves you. It just, God loves you. I would love to scream this on a mountaintop. God loves you. And so, and we don't need to sing this again, but this is what that song is about. It's something, it, it can be poetic at points, but it comes to a place and it says, all I did was worship. All I did was praise. I don't deserve this kind of love. And I love what Jen did. And it says that, what do you say at the end? That I'm going to praise, right? I'm going to worship. See, we worship and praise God not because we want love from God. We worship and praise God because we are loved by God. And it's an expression of love. When my wife loves me and, and she has been uh, just been, been strong with me, I want to respond and reciprocate love. And in the same way, our worship is not, I have to, I have to, I have to. But we understand the depth of how much our God loves us and it's an, I want to, I want to worship. I want to praise. That's the heart of being a Christian. Being a Christian is not the, the letter of the law, like I need to do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this, so God will love me. No, it is a response to a God who already loves you. Your worship is a response. It's not like, oh, I'm going to sing good songs. No. Oh, I like this song. I like that song. No, it's a response that I can't believe. You are freaked out about God loving you. And the moment you can actually make sense of God loving you is the moment you don't understand it at all. Because it doesn't make sense the way our God loves us. That's why we praise. That's why we worship. Amen? Man, greet the person next to you as you guys take a seat.
Get to know their names. Say, I forgot your name for the third week in a row, but my name is John. I apologize. It's okay. Yeah. Sometimes that's all I needed. <laughs> Sometimes it's just a moment of like just entering into a, 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 an awakening that God loves us more than we can ever imagine. And we never can ever deserve it. I think as long as I stay there, that I can have a good way of viewing my life and things don't become so heavy. Have you ever, have you ever had life just become so heavy? Is because we forget how much God loves us, and we find our we're looking for our joy somewhere outside of where God has made joy in us. You know what I mean? And so, uh, when you are struggling, and I just want to say this out loud, we want to be a church that when you're struggling, we want to be with you. We want to we want to lift you up because uh, it's so easy to run this race alone, and I do not want you to run this race alone i don't want you to do marriage alone that's very very hard too and I, I say around here sometimes what's harder than being single and alone is being married and alone and married people we understand this candace and i remember we were i was i remember like in the parts of our marriage when we were like man i'm lonely and like we're next to each other you're bugging me now <laughs> right there's parts of marriage we just need the strength of more than uh, just two people that's why the church has always been a family of god it has never been a cafetorium nor a building it's never been any of this it's been like people man getting sometimes just holding hands and getting through sometimes just getting through is like thank god right there's moments we just need to get through right and as the guys are preparing to do the offering, but I, I just want to just tell you, there's a couple things coming up. Um, there's uh, on Labor Day, it's Labor Day coming up, right? I mess it up all the time. We're going to have a potluck here. Uh, so uh, prepare for that. Uh, we're going to put some information up online. And um, also this Saturday, this Saturday, say this Saturday, we've been going through some consulting, right? You guys understand that we've been going through some consulting and and uh, they've been going through they've been getting all the information together and they've been consulting with us for over uh several months now and they have taken uh, uh interviews from you guys group interviews some of you guys signed up some of you guys uh did things online um and thank you for all that information but we are bringing that all together to see areas of our uh, church life areas that we can improve on and strengthen so that we together not just leadership but us together if it's just us uh, just a couple people wanting to move forward it doesn't make any sense to do this right it's us believing together that God has placed us together to make a difference that God has placed mission in as teachers and as 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 construction workers as educators as as nurses as we work in all these areas for the glory of God we're all ministers this is not ministry 
just me talking. That's a part of it. You guys are all ministers, and you guys all do ministry because God has placed you on this earth for purpose. If you're retired, you're still in ministry, folks. If you're too young, you're like, I don't do ministry. Yeah, you do ministry too because we don't minister just to people. First of all, we are unto God. Everything that we do, our ministry is unto God. And, I, I won't, and what we want to do as a church is equip you as, uh, as leadership to do God's ministry because it's the best thing for you. I believe Jesus is the best thing for this world. It's not the less of Jesus. I want people to experience God's love, God's peace, and God's hope in every one of these lives because they need it. Just like you need it, they need it. And I pray that that's the hope that you have. Nothing that's special about you, but everything that's special about Jesus. I'm not saying you're not special. I know we say everyone gets a trophy, everyone's special. Right? I'm just saying that the best thing in us is Christ, is Christ. And I pray that that be in us. But that's what's going to happen this Saturday. We're meeting at the Anything Library at 9 o'clock. And I ask all, for as many people can come, please join us this Saturday for Hill City uh, Consultant Training. And then we're going to get what we've learned and areas we need to work on, and we're going to move forward. And please join us that day. But let's pray, and we're going to uh, receive the offering. And uh, we're going to move forward. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God, as, uh, as these uh, men come forward, Lord God, and as we're receiving the offering. And what we're doing is we are we're giving to a vision, Lord God, believing, Lord, that you have called us in community to come together as a community for our community, God, for our community that we are in, Lord God. I pray that you would empower us and that you would open up our eyes this week, Lord God, and that you would be glorified, God, not because, Lord, you, does, you need it, Lord God, but because that is the outflow of loving, being loved by you and loving you, Lord God. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Yeah, as they're giving. Thank you guys for being here. There's a, there's a lot of little things that I believe that God wants us to move in. And some of the big things is that I believe that God does want us to pray for one another during these times. That, that we're going to make more space in moving forward to pray for one another and to strengthen one another. Uh, because I want you guys to know each other's names and know each other's stories. Some of you guys need to hear each other's stories as I get to hear. Got, there's miracles all over this place that God has put together all the puzzle pieces for you to be here. And now, I don't want you to just be there. I want you to expand the story of your life so that we can glorify the story of God. Amen? Man. Amen? All right. At this time, I want to bring Jen up as uh, she's going to speak to us today. I want to give you, give her a hand, guys. Like a real hand. Give her some, yeah. And I just want to thank her for everything that she does in leading in our, in our praise and our worship unto God, but leading also a team and leading our church, giving vision. I, I meet with her weekly and we, uh, to give vision to where we're going. I'm just so excited for her to speak to you. So one more time, Jen Baker. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you. I'm not as loud as John, so you probably have to turn me up. Sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick this guy up. sitting right here you could probably see 
this device I'm using. I forgot to uh, switch out to the uh, grown-up iPad case today, so I'm using the baby purple monster. <laughs> I have a five-year-old and almost three-year-old, so this is how you protect your screens, everyone, from the, the wife of the uh, Apple guy. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right, well, I'm just, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to share with you what um, God has put on my heart today. And uh, it's, it might seem like when I start to, um, I guess preachers call it unpack it. When you start to unpack it, it seems like a lot, but it, it all works together and it's all so good. Um, I know we just, we just prayed, but I'm going to pray one more time because I need it. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for me. and I'm going to pray for you guys. All right. Father God, I just, I thank you so much, God, for your love and for your mercy. Lord, I pray that you would just come into this room right now, that your spirit would fill each and every one of our hearts. God, that we would move forward into this time with expectancy, God. Lord, I pray that each and every word that comes out of my mouth has nothing to do with me, but everything to do with you. Lord, I pray above all else today that your name would be glorified. That all praise would go to you today. thank you so much for who you are. And Lord, I ask that you would give each one of us grace. Open our eyes, open our ears and our hearts to receive something that we might have never received before. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for who you are in my life, Father. And I love you so much. In the name of Jesus, I pray. So um, many of you know me, um, you know that I, you know, obviously I'm, in, I'm involved in worship here and um, I have an amazing um, team of people and I couldn't do this without them and I wouldn't do this without them and I tell them that all the time. Um, I'm not sure how many of you know my personal testimony though um, of why I chose to become a worship leader. Um, so I had a, I had a wonderful childhood, right? They're, they're the, the best memories that I can think of. And I, I cling to those memories when I need to remind myself of God's hand on my life and God's goodness in my life. Um, when I hit the uh, teenage years, that was a little bit of a different story. Um, I was trying to figure out who I was and what love looked like in the midst of some divorces of some pretty key people in my family. And I stumbled through about seven or eight years of my life chasing completion and acceptance uh, to fill a void I didn't, I didn't even know that I had. And now, you know, I had grown up in church and um, I had grown up singing in church and I have, um, my whole family is full of ministers on both sides, pastors, ministers, um, music ministers, like our whole family is full. 
Um, so I knew God. Um, well, I, I knew of God, and I knew that he loved me. I knew that, but I didn't know him. And I didn't understand how to love him back. Or that I, I could even have a relationship with him at all. I saw him as a sovereign God who took care of things as a whole, um, but I had completely glossed over seeing him as a loving father who wanted to spend time with me and to know me because I was stuck in my own delusion of what I thought love looked like or what I thought love should look like. And it wasn't until I was at a youth conference, um, I was 17 years old in Southern California where I'm from, and I was, I was so broken, I was so lost, and I was, I was done. I was so done trying to figure out who I was and why I had so many friends, but I was so desperately lonely and I couldn't find peace, I couldn't find contentment, and I couldn't find purpose in my life beyond what was happening that day or that moment or what are we doing tonight. I thought that I had approached God time and time and time again because I went to church every week. I participated in worship every week. And I knew that he knew my heart, but I had never engaged him. And I had never allowed him to respond to me. I actually never laid it out on the line because I thought knowing of God and having accepted Christ as my savior was enough as, you know, as far as having a relationship with God. So that last night of the youth conference during worship, I'm going to knock this over. I better move right this way. I would be the one to do it too. Um, the last night of the youth conference during, during the time of worship, I basically just gave up. I said, God, if you're real, if this is real, if there's more to you, more to this relationship, more to this life, I need you to show up now. Something has to change because I'm done. I am not good enough for me anymore. And when I said those words, it was like a ton of bricks hit my chest. And in that moment, the love of God engulfed me in a way that I had never fathomed could happen. And for the first time for myself, I found in him my security and my safe space, my place of rest, my place of belonging. But what was crazy was I knew this place. This was my place of home. And from that moment, I knew that I wanted to lead people into this place to have an intimate relationship with him because I didn't know what I was missing out on. And so who else might? So there's nothing like it to be back with him, to be in his presence, to be in who he is, where we came from, to this place of home and of peace and of knowing that we're with the one who made us. So this is what I want to talk to you about today. 
this secret place in God. And I love that I get to, to teach this to you because it's had such a profound impact upon my life. So I'm actually going to kind of wrap up our summer series um, on the book of Psalms that we've been going through um, by talking with you today about my favorite passage in the entire Bible. Um, this is my, my life passage. This is, the, this is the chunk of word that I have emblazoned upon my heart and my soul, and I cling to it, and I find rest in it. Um, if you will turn with me today to Psalm 91. Yes! I've, I've always wanted to hear that. That's so awesome. <laughs> Sorry, it just got me really excited. <laughs> okay, let's read it together. Let's go to, um, let's go through verse 7, and we'll go for the rest later. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. So the very first thing I want to talk to you about today is the very first verse of this passage because it kind of lays the foundation for the rest of the passage. It says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And that just, right there, I'm done, I'm out, right? Like, I could just sit in that all day and I would be good. But let's, let's dig a little deeper into that. So about a month or so ago, we started going through Psalm 139, which says in verse 13, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And verse 15 and 16 say, My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So several times in the word of God, it refers to him knowing us even before he put us here on this earth. He knew us, our inmost being, our spirit, and we knew him. He formed us and knit us together, and he's ordained all our lives, <clears throat> all, all the days of our lives before they happen. He made us, he made us in that secret place, which means we were with him before he purposed us to be here. And he's ordained every single day of your life from that point on. So from the moment your spirit was knit with your flesh, even as a tiny, minuscule, little being speck of life, that's, that's a big deal. <laughs> he was with us. Unfortunately, there's always a plot twist, right? So unfortunately, what he had planned, the relationship that he meant for us to have, to be with him every single day of our lives from the moment that he put us here to have that kind of relationship with him, it was disrupted and disconnected by sin and corruption. 
We were never supposed to sever that access to him. When Adam and Eve deliberately disobeyed God by eating that fruit, you know, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, he specifically told them, do not eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they didn't obey him. And they forfeited something so much more precious than their access to that garden. I mean, yes, you know, the, the, the male was punished with having to toil in the earth to, to raise crops. And the woman was punished with the unbearable pain of, of childbirth. But if you think about it, that was nothing in comparison to what they actually lost. The Bible says God walked intimately with Adam and Eve. Their world, their relationship with God was perfect. It was literally heaven on earth, which is how he intended it to be. But when they made that choice, they lost access to the garden, to the bliss of the world and creation, and they lost access to that intimate relationship to the secret place with their father. They introduced sin into the world, and because of the deep unholiness of the sin, the fullness of God could no longer be in communion with them. It put a wedge in between them that had to be put into place as a buffer because he's too holy to be in the presence of that sin. God made man in his image, not just in likeness of form, but in likeness of holiness to be like him, to know him, to be with him. But that was taken away as a consequence of that ultimate disobedience. Now, this ushered in a whole new way people on the earth would be able to worship and access the Father because now sin had to be atoned for or forgiven by something innocent taking the blame or punishment of someone or something else who was guilty. It involved bloodshed of the purest of animal so that as the blood was spilled upon the altar as a sacrifice, it symbolically covered the sins of the people and because of the blood covering that sin, God remembered it, could see it no more. That's starting to sound a little familiar, right? So right away, God established a pattern of atonement in motion to restore his people back to him. Watch how cool this is. Adam and Eve sinned. Their eyes were opened, right? They now understood the difference between good and evil. They realized they were naked and they felt shame. So they tried to cover themselves with leaves. God took notice, took an animal, right then and there, took an animal. He killed it as a sacrifice that had to be made to atone for the sin they had just committed and immediately established the foreshadowing of Christ coming and his plan of restoration to restore us back to him. Isn't that crazy? So... There is foreshadowing or God using types, which is someone or something used in the Old Testament as a prophetic example that's fulfilled in the New Testament to show that he had planned all along for Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice for every sin ever committed. So what's crazy is if you look at the life of Adam, right? Adam, the man who was created into perfection to be perfect but introduced sin into the world, you will see prophetic foreshadowings of Christ in his life. That is how fast God decided he wanted you back. Creation, perfection, 
Sin, boom, restoration, already in motion. And you'll see it all throughout the Old Testament. Prophetic types of Christ uh, through the lives of Isaac, through uh, Jonah, three days in the belly of the whale, through Samson. And it's really crazy how many uh, things, people, and places actually foreshadow or tell the story of the coming of Christ. But even though God established that pattern for atonement, the sin was still there. And he still had to shield himself from those that he loved so much and that he wanted relationship with. We see people in the Bible like Abraham and Daniel and David who all had a close relationship with God. They were friends with him. They knew him. They loved him. They walked with him. They were called by him, loved by him. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God. But because of sin and unholiness, it kept them separated or veiled from having full access to the Father and a secret place type of relationship that was available to them before that he originally intended. Though he met with Moses many times, face-to-face, the Bible even says, which is you know, obviously indicative of a close relationship, he still told him, remove your sandals and don't come any further for you're standing on holy ground. Met with Moses face-to-face and still could not come any further. Even the few he knew intimately and met with They were shielded mostly for safety because their sinful nature couldn't handle it. And that's exactly what happened with Moses and the Israelites, right? When God wanted relationship with his covenant people, he tried to meet with them. So, you know, because he had been meeting with Moses on Mount Sinai, so he told Moses, have the people prepare themselves for the next three days because I want to meet with them and I'm going to, you know, descend on the mountain. (laughs) And, uh, this was, a very, this was a very serious thing, though, because the, with the preparation, he told the people, when I come down on the mountain, tell the people, don't come too close to the mountain or you will be stoned or shot with arrows. That's how serious the presence of God was. And so <clears throat> when God showed up, he, he came down in a cloud of smoke and fire and lightning and thunder and this booming loud voice. And it terrified the people so much. <laughs> they met with Moses and said, um, you know, no thanks. We're good. Uh, if you want to meet with God, that's good. You can meet with God for us and we'll be good. So thank you. But God wanted to dwell with his people. So he had Moses tell them specifications on how to build him an appropriate dwelling place. This place was called the tabernacle, and it would be suitable for his presence to be held. But again, because of sin, the place where his presence dwelled in the tabernacle was still far from where they would have access. Now, there were three parts to this tabernacle. You can go ahead and put up that picture just so you can get a visual of this. There were three parts of this tabernacle that God had, that God had them built. So there, there were the outer courts, the inner courts, or the holy place, and the most holy place, or the holy of holies. Now the outer courts are where sacrifices were made outside of the holy places where God's presence dwelt. And this is the only place, the outer courts was the only place that the people had access to. But when you move from the outer courts to the inner courts or the holy place, 
Only sanctioned priests could enter into this place. And they performed rituals with symbolic symbols. You'll see in here um, the golden lampstand, table of shoe bread, the golden altar of incense. They all represent different things, um, but the, the, the room itself represented the presence of God. Now, in between the holy place and the holy of holies was a giant woven piece of material called a veil. I apologize for this picture. It is the only one that I could find that was close up. I know it looks like a weird figurine, but just stay with me. Okay, so <laughs> this veil, right? This veil was at least 30 feet high. Try to get a picture of this in your mind, okay? It was refashioned at one point to go up to 60 feet high. It was about four inches thick. It was made of yarn, okay? The Bible says it was as thick as a man's hand. It took 300 priests to put it up to ensure no one would accidentally fall into the most holy place and die. Right? This is serious. So the most holy place, the holy of holies, is where the very presence of God was housed and where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. You'll see it behind the veil. It was kept with the Ten Commandments that God had given to Moses as well. It represented, the Ark represented, God's covenant with his people, that he would keep his promise of being good to them generation after generation if they would keep his commandments and follow them. Now, the Holy of Holies was only accessed once a year on the Day of Atonement. Only the high priest could enter through that really huge, thick veil so he could sprinkle the blood of the most perfect animal sacrifice on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant to atone for his sins and the sins of the people. And even the high priest, the one person allowed to access this place, had to wave burning incense in front of his face just so that it would keep him distracted so he wouldn't look at the very presence of God because if he did, he would die. They also wore this rope around them with like jing jingly bells that they would wear into this place. That way, if they're their bells stopped jingling, they could pull them out. That's right, they could pull them out, and that way nobody would have to go in because they could die too. I'm telling you, this is a very serious thing, right? So the veil was not only constructed as a physical way to keep the people shielded from the presence of God, but it was also symbolic. It represented the separation that had to be made between God's presence and his people because of sin. But this... Another plot twist, the sovereignty and grace of God. He had a plan, just like I told you before. From the beginning, right when sin happened, and he knew what he was doing because he didn't want to send Jesus to die, but he knew he had to to complete and fulfill his plan. But when Jesus gave his life on that cross, his flesh was torn as a covenant-completing sacrifice for our sins through time all sins through time. And that very same veil and that very same tabernacle over a thousand years later in a completely different place, that veil was torn into from top to bottom. It was a symbol and a sign that we no longer have anything separating us from God's pure and holy presence. When Jesus decided to come to earth to live his life as a perfect man and lay it down as a perfect sacrifice to complete every fulfillment of prophecy, every old law that had turned God into rigid rules made him seem so unreachable, 
was not only to wipe out the sins of the world, but to restore us back to the Father, to mend the relationship with him that had been severed by sin and grant us access back to him in that secret place. This gets crazier. This is so awesome. Listen to this. So before Jesus was arrested, he was taken to be, or before he was arrested and taken to be crucified, he told his disciples in John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, the disciples at that time didn't know what that meant because they only knew Jesus, right? They, only, they loved Jesus. They, they didn't want to leave Jesus, but Jesus knew the Father had a plan. So when he was resurrected and he rose from, the, uh, rose from the grave, he again told them that a helper or guide was coming and that even though they had been baptized in water, they would be baptized by fire, which was the Holy Spirit, right? Still in the plan. He, the Holy Spirit, being the Spirit of God, would lead them and comfort them in Jesus' place. So they stayed where Jesus told them to stay, and they waited and they prayed. And when they were all in one accord, seeking what Jesus had promised them on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. <clears throat> and from that point on, he was and is promised to be our help, our guide, our comfort, right? So we rely on the Holy Spirit as our guide, not only for our daily life, but as a guide back to the Father, leading us deeper into his presence and closer to him because of what Jesus did. Now, stay with me. I know it's a lot of information. Stay with me. So I just told you guys, right, how the tabernacle functioned in the Old Testament as a place of sacrifices and atonement, right, and how the, the people had relationship with God mostly through priests. Now, in light of the cross and what Jesus did when we talk about the tabernacle now, it's not just a place of reference of what used to be or, oh, interesting, what a nice piece of history. I'm so glad it's not like that anymore. No, God set up the tabernacle as another type, another thing that was used in the Old Testament as a prophetic example of what's going to be used in the Old or the, the New Testament under the New Covenant. So when we study the tabernacle now through the Old Testament, the old, the, sorry, when we study the tabernacle now through the new covenant because of Jesus Christ, it turns from the old covenant, right? The old covenant of sacrifices, sacrifices and separation in the old covenant. But when you step into the new covenant because of what Jesus did, we're now using that as a guide for relationship and walking toward the Father with Holy Spirit as our guide now. We can use this place as a reference or journey from the outer courts, the very outside, and move into the holy place. But now, because we have the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus did, we have access to that holy of holies. See, God turned it so we could use this frame of reference to enter into his presence in relationship and worship. So if we have Jesus, then we have access through the Holy Spirit, to get as close to the presence of God as we want to go. See, remember I told you it was a very serious thing. 
that serious, fiery lightning and thunder, you can't touch it or you will die, presence of God is waiting for us. And all we have to do is choose it, say, yes, I want it, engage it, and walk toward it. It's available. So then we can use the template of the movement through the tabernacle as how we approach worship as people who operate in the new covenant with Christ. So the outer courts, the place where they only had access to in the Old Testament, there's no longer a place of limitation. And now for us becomes a place of expectation because we're not stopping there, right? Psalm 100 says, Shout to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Uh, verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise to his name. We can enter into the outer courts of his presence with shouts of joy, praise, and thanks for what he's done. And that's what we do here because it's a template for worship. So when we come in and we start and we praise God and we're clapping our hands and we're singing as loud as we can, we're entering his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That's what we're doing as people of new covenant with Christ. We also get to keep walking. We're not stopped at that holy place. We get to focus and hone in on the presence of God, and we get to worship him in that holy place because of what Jesus did. And what's even more awesome is that we get to know all of who he is. We get the fullness of God in that most holy place, the holy of holies, that place that was cut off from us by sin. We now have access back to that. We can stand in it, proclaiming, God, I exalt thee. There's no one else I praise. There's no one else I worship. Only you alone are worthy of it, God. And this presence where the pure glory of God waits for us and welcomes us, it changes us, it heals us, it equips us, it keeps us safe. And we know that we're together again with the one who made us. So I'm almost done here. Worship team, you can come up. So I wanted to go through this today because I wanted you to understand all the things, everything God did to get you back because you were that important to him because he loves you. So what now? What do we do with that information now? We worship in his presence, right? We come here to find him in this place, but then what? Do we leave him here to live our lives Monday through Saturday? And then we come back here to find him? I don't want you to think of God's presence as just a nice place to be, a nice feeling but a way to live your life. What if you started seeing Psalm 91 like this? He who dwells abides, who lives in that secret place that his son, that God sent his son for, so we can find him there again, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. 
would live in the protection of the Almighty, the love, the peace, the comfort, the joy, the contentment, the healing of the Almighty under the covering of our Father, the one who made us, who longs to meet with us, to know us. He longs to know you, to spend every day with you in that place so much that you start operating your life from that place. Let me, just, let me just tell you real quick what can happen when you start operating from that place, okay? I'm gonna go back and read from verse nine, Psalm 91. It says, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So because you've chosen to make the Lord your dwelling place, you choose each and every day to press into that access you have and live your life from that place. He gives us promises. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. Evil isn't allowed to take you down. He will command his angels to have charge over you and they will keep you in all your ways. They will fight for you when you need it. They will catch you if you start to fall. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. A cobra is a snake, right? So you will walk on the things, those sneaky things that try to attack you and take you down when you're not looking. You will walk on those things. And verse 14 says, I'm gonna read this as if this is for us, as, it, as, as if for me. It says, I have set my love upon him. Therefore, he will deliver me. I believe it. He will set me on high because I have known his name. I shall call upon him and he will answer me. He will be with me in trouble. He will deliver and honor me. With long life, he will satisfy me and show me his salvation. So because we've made the Lord our dwelling place, our secret place, we get that access back to him, right? But also we get to abide and live in that place and access the promises that come with being in that shelter. Now, I wanna make something clear. God doesn't guarantee that the trouble won't come because Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. Because of sin, we have battles every day. We have to battle with it. But he does promise to be a shelter to you in those storms, to be your safe place, to be your refuge. He promises to be there. It says in verse 15, I will be with you in trouble. Like I said before, the troubles will come and it might seem like you're growing weary. It might seem like you're losing the battle, but God says, 
He'll be there to deliver us when we need it. He'll help catch us when we're falling. And he'll give us strength to walk over the hardest parts of the battle. And then he steps in and has the final say. And when we come to him and say, God, I'm broken. I don't, I can't go on. I'm, I'm going to lose this battle. And he looks at you and says, no. Because you're in me and I'm in you. Jesus already has the victory and the war is already won. Would you stand with me today? Church, don't lose sight of him. Don't get so battle-weary that you've forgotten where your help comes from, where your strength comes from. Don't step out from under that place of abiding in him and try to do it yourself. Because I can tell you, in all honesty, every moment of my life where I've experienced failure, where I've experienced loss, loneliness, insignificance, hatred, self-loathing, depression, anxiety. I walked away from him and I tried to do it myself. We need to get back to him. Get back into his presence and keep him close to you. Live from that place. Find your rest. Find your refuge in him. And when you start to see and you live life from under the shadow of the Almighty, you start to see, okay, stuff is going on around me. And maybe things are coming at me from a thousand different directions. But you know what? I live under a shadow of contentment. I live under a shadow of love. I live under a shadow of peace, under a shadow of grace, under a shadow of mercy. There's nothing that can take me down because there's nothing that can take him down. But you have to choose it. It's your choice every day how far you walk into that place with him. The further you go, the more time you spend with him, the more you start to become like him. You start to think like him. You start to act like him. But like I said, it's up to you to make that choice. There's a sacrifice involved to make that journey with him every single day. But I can tell you from experience, so worth it. Let me ask you, what would it look like in your life to stand and face whatever you're going through from the other side? What would it look like to see it from under the protection of the shadow of the Almighty? Would it seem less daunting, less scary maybe? Do you think maybe that you would have a peace about it at some point, that maybe you would just surrender the anxiety that comes from it? 
or just let go of the fear about it right in the face of your enemy, or you started to trust God so much that you believed with all of your heart that he had the best for you and that he was gonna handle it for you. I know we're running a little bit late on time today, but I wanna take time in this moment to pray. If you're in a place today where you feel lost and broken and you feel like you've been fighting a fight for way too long on your own and you've come to the end of yourself and you say, God, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it on my own. I throw my hands up, I surrender. I can't do this. I want you to be brave in this moment and I want you to come down here so that someone can lay their hands on you and pray for you in this moment because we need to pray for you, for one another and uplift one another. If that's you this morning, I want you to come just stand right here in front. If you don't know what it is to live your life for God, to know him in that way, but you say, I gotta have it. I can't live life without God anymore. I can't do it. I just, I have to know Jesus. I have to know the security, the refuge of that place. Take a step and be bold. If you need prayer, come forward. If you're facing something today that you're, you're just so weary and you're, you're so tired that you feel like, I've prayed about this so many times, I've come forward so many times. In your heart, I've come forward so many times. I wanna encourage you this morning. God has not given up on you. God has not forgotten about you. God has not left you where you are. He loves you so much. He sent his son for you to get back to you so that you could have access back with him, to have a close relationship with him, to know him. Would you all just close your eyes today? If you need any prayer for anything else, this altar is open. Don't be afraid. Don't, come, don't not come because of fear. If there's anything in your life that you need prayer for today, he's here to meet with you. thank you so much. I thank you for your presence. I thank you, God, that you sent your son so that we could have access back to you, so we could have access, God, back into that relationship with you, back into that place with you. 
God, though we might not know what's happening, we might not know what's going on in each and every life, each and every person here, God, we know that you know. And God, I pray right now that you would just cover each person in this place with peace. Help them to realize that you are the place of refuge. You are the place of rest. God, you are the place where we come to find our place of home. There is healing in your presence. There is restoration in your presence. I speak peace in the name of Jesus. I speak contentment in the name of Jesus. Where there was anxiety or fear or depression, in the name of Jesus, I declare it's gone. And in place, there is peace, there is joy, there is happiness. word is real. We believe that you are who you say you are and you will do what you said that you would do. That if we trust you, that if we take that step of faith towards you, God, that you would meet us there. That if we said, God, I want you to be my refuge. I want you to be my dwelling place. That you would meet us. That you would cover us that you would keep us safe, that if anything tried to, to come near us, God, that you would give us the wisdom, you would give us the courage. God, you, was, you would give us our fight back to know that we could overcome anything in you because Jesus already has the victory. God, I pray that your love, your spirit would uplift, encourage, and wrap around every single person who can hear my voice in this room today. God, in this moment, we choose you. We choose to know you. We choose to be more like you. We choose to walk towards you. To know, God, that when we're not enough, we know that you're enough. We lay all our burdens at your feet and we pick up joy instead. We pick up peace instead. We pick up contentment instead. We lay down anxieties, fears, burdens. Let them all fall away in the presence of God. person in this 
speak restoration to you in the name of Jesus and wholeness to your body, to your mind, to your spirit, to your soul. Any spirits of infirmity, any spirits of fear, any spirits of doubt, any spirits of pain, you leave. You may not stand in the presence of God. The, the presence of God, the Spirit of God is too holy to be in the presence of things like that. So we declare in the name of Jesus, you go now. I speak to hearts, I speak to minds in the name of Jesus. Be healed, be whole, be set free. Anxiety, depression, fear, spirits of suicide, thoughts of suicide, go in the name of Jesus. Be filled with love, be filled with joy, be filled with peace in the name of Jesus. speak to burdens. I speak to financial burdens. I speak to, to burdens with families, to burdens on homes, burdens on jobs, burdens at school. Peace in the name of Jesus. Peace come to you in the name of Jesus. God, surround every home in this room, every family in this room. I pray that every person in this room would be a light to this world for you that then when they stepped into their home, when they stepped into their place of work, God, that your light would shine through their life. That we would be looking at our problems, God, from the other side so that we could help other people back to you. God, I thank you for wholeness today in every heart, in every mind, in every person here. I thank you that there's complete fullness in your presence that we need for nothing more but to just stand and be with you to lay it at your feet God and to allow you to make us whole in every way for those who don't know you, for those who don't know you in this room, and for those who might not know you that we encounter every day, those, God, that are in our families, that we cry out for them to come home. We call them home in the name of Jesus, and we send the Spirit of God. Go get them. God, use us. Use us as a vessel of your presence so that other people can see us in you and that they would want to be close to you, God, because they see you in us. Let us be light into this world. Let us be love into this world. To this generation, God, I speak life over this generation, over this next generation coming up. I rebuke the spirit of death the enemy does not have our children. You speak life over your kids. You speak destiny over your kids. Our children are going to change the world for Jesus Christ. Speak it over your
your family, church. My child, my family, they will be called of God. They will be children of God. They will be children of destiny. this is heavy stuff. This is, this is heart-changing, life-changing stuff. But God, we choose it, and we choose you. We choose to step toward you today, a step of faith towards you, a step of knowing, God, that you will complete what you started. God, we have faith enough to live in a place where we trust you and where we know that you will handle whatever is going on with us and that all we have to do is run to you help us God to have that faith to run to you in our time of need not to to go back into ourselves and try to do it on our own but to run to you with everything that we have God everything that we are to surrender it to you God to know that because we have made you the Lord God, our dwelling place. You will keep us safe. You will be our refuge. You will be, you will be our place of home, our place of safety in our time of need. And there is nothing by any means that can harm us because Jesus has the victory, because we live under the shelter of completion of wholeness and of restoration in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for what you've done today in every person here and every heart, every mind, every body. I seal it in the name of Jesus Christ. Let this moment from this point on be a time that we remember, I chose God. I'm gonna run toward him. This is it. Leaving everything else behind. God, we thank you for who you are. We love you. We honor you in this place today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen, church. Amen. Um, thank you for being with us today. Uh, we love all of you. And if you need to come and have more prayer, we're here and available uh, for you to do that. We'll see you next week. We love you so much.